This is episode one with Sasha Bailey. My goal is to slow people down and make people think a little bit more about what they're buying. Hello, crypto art world, and welcome to Underscore, a Second Realm Studio podcast. I'm your host, Eric Paul Rhodes, a former experienced designer turned crypto artist. And each week, we'll talk to artists and professionals in the crypto art space. Thank you for spending time with me today, and now let the show begin. My guest today is Sasha Bailey, and we talk about everything from growing up in a creative family to curating an erotic art show at 18 years old and the role blockchain art exchange plays in the crypto art community today. Um, you're the first guest. Congratulations. Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> thank you so much for having me as the first, uh, first guest, Eric. I really appreciate it. You come from a family of creatives, and I find this super fascinating because... Um, I think it's unique among people in the industry. You come from the perspective, or I feel like it seems like you come from the fine art perspective as opposed to the engineering perspective. Yeah. Um, and we'll get into that as we go along. But my, my question for you is, how does growing up in a creative family inform sort of who you are today? And for those maybe that don't know, you, your father is uh, renowned for fashion photographer David. yeah i'd say that he's um probably responsible for i guess in a nutshell if, if, if you haven't heard much about him he would be the uh photographer who's responsible for the way fashion is now in the sense that it used to be very stuffy and kind of girls wearing frocks in uh very uh wooden poses and as silly as it, silly as it sounds he was kind of the first guy to take it on location and do kind of strange shots and girls in leather jackets and make it cool um he changed it from being this sort of stuffy thing in a studio to being kind of uh i guess i guess he was during the phase of when photographers were kind of rock and roll. Um, we've got like Richard Avedon, um, there's a few others who have kind of got that. Uh, I guess Terry Richardson, I mean, obviously he, has had, he had a big fall from grace recently, but um, would be one of the last sort of people who would fall into that category of kind of rock and roll fashion photographers. They were almost like stand-up comedians worth but during 2015 to kind of that period. That was like a little kind of renaissance of, of, of photography. And um, Bailey, uh, my dad, was was one of the photographers who kind of pioneered that phase. Um, one of the interesting things that I guess you could you could look it up is is his uh, his Olympus adverts, which are um, who do you think you are, David Bailey? Um, and there's kind of people still say that uh, cab, well, mostly cab drivers in the UK um, still turn that around for him and and say that because that advertising campaign kind of went everywhere at the time. Um, and it's still kind of, uh, it, it was a pretty good one. He did a lot of adverts as well. Uh, funnily enough, he actually did a Trump Airlines advert with Don King, which is worth well worth a watch. It's one of the most bizarre um, adverts I've ever seen. Um, but you can find that on Google too. So you, you so how, how, does, how did growing up in sort of, um, in, in, in that environment inform your, your youth, you know? Your so choices? I grew up. I grew up around a lot of adults uh, more than I did um, around people my own age. Obviously, I was at school and, and, and stuff like that, but I was always kind of exposed to the art world. Uh, I saw it from every angle. So, like, um, Damien Hurst was someone who was very kind of close to our family growing up. 
Um, and I, I've seen, and, and a lot of gallery owners, uh, the own people who run Tashin Books, people who run Gagosian, people who run Sotheby's. So I, I've seen the art industry from every possible angle. So I've seen galleries rise and fall. Um, there was a huge gallery in London called Scream that was probably the most popular thing in the world. They expanded. They, um, I guess, they overexpanded, which galleries tend to do. And, and then I saw them kind of collapse. And and I'm good friend. I'm still good friends with uh, the, the owner Jamie Jamie Wood, who's um, there's going to be a lot of name dropping in this this conversation. Um, who's name, who's, name Ronnie, drop who's, away. <laughs> who's uh, Ronnie Wood's son? Um, and then kind of just just being a part of that industry growing up, I I, I learned very quickly how it worked and how the kind of what the art industry is already about um I, when i was when i was uh, 11 this is like I, I guess is one of my favorite kind of stories about my my realization that i wanted to be um i wanted to sell art and i wanted to be in the art industry is is my my dad was taking pictures of people at freeze um he was kind of doing it in like a, a taking pitch pictures of people of note who came and I was drawing anime and kind of manga at the time. And I put, I just put a lot of them up on the wall um, around the freeze and people would stop and look at them as if they were part of the installations. I, I sold them in my dad's kind of uh, booth where he was doing the photography and I, I sold quite a lot for, for, I mean, for my age, it was about a hundred pounds worth, but then, um, but I also just kind of saw what would happen if I went and put them in an actual galleries booth, and uh, it's it's shocking how many people, and I must have been eleven, will stop and really consider an eleven-year-old's artwork because of the setting that it's in. That's really interesting. So, you, did you did you perform your own version of a Banksy where you sort of did it without? Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah, I guess I guess it was that, but I didn't really know what I, you know. I was just kind of for me, it was just kind of this wonderland of of art. I remember seeing a giant ice cube that was on sale for three thousand pounds, which I thought was one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. Apparently, they sold it with a tray, so you could refreeze it in your freezer once it melted, and then you could have a big puddle in your in your room whenever you wanted. But I just kind of, I, I've seen the absurdity of the art market from both the angle of a seller and a buyer. And then one of the first people who who really got me into and 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 actually at the same time explained how that all worked was um, Harry Blaine who runs or, or did run they closed down recently um, uh, Blaine Southern and um, uh, he also runs Sedition Art which is is actually full full props to them probably the first ever online digital art sort of platform um, he he kind of explained to me how it works. He bought an artwork from me, but he kind of gave me this concept of how the selling of it is done and why you would want to buy it, why why you would want to buy an artwork. And then the reason he would want to buy, say, the artwork that I, I created, he said, is because he believes in the, in the future, 10 years, 15 years down the line, I may have some role in the art industry and this the drawing that I did would be part of would be something that would be worth more and it would increase in value and he kind of ran through the idea that it's it's you know teaching me that it's kind of all about perception it's all about how you um how you perceive something um more than necessarily the quality or even the message it's it's you know uh it's an industry that um it's entirely marketing 
uh, based. The the artwork, generally the better artists, in my opinion, and I think a lot of people's, if they objectively look at it, are the outsider artists. Uh, people, I, I mean, one my, my favorite artists actually, two favorite, and I will butcher one of their names, is um, Samoita, who's the guy who does sexy robots uh, in Japan, um, and H.R. Geiger. And they both fall into the same sort of category of, I guess, airbrush, but H.R. Geiger is much more nightmarish and his stuff is based, you know, more on the um, the depths of kind of the human condition and and his own dreams. And I think when I see artwork like that, that captures, um, this is all going to be very arty farty, uh, that captures kind of the the essence of what it means to be afraid and what it means to be alone in the universe and the existential dread that we all feel. Um, that's the sort of art that speaks to me personally. And I think on a personal level, that's that's the sort of artist that I try to seek out. And I, I'm and also with with uh, I'm I, I'm I'm not very good at sticking to a tangent. Sorry. Um, the the artists that I um, work with with BAE is I, I try to find people who who speak to that part of the soul um, because I think that for me, there's the the darkness inside. Hugh is getting very goth. Um, who's <laughs> but the dark, the darkness of of the human condition, I think, is something that's that can be explored and can be made beautiful and 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 can be made uplifting through art. And I think that too often art can be happy and simple. And and I I uh, I, I like to see I like to see an artist kind of expose themselves um, and really put their put what what is in their soul out there. Um, is this, I find, yes. Sorry, sorry. Go on. That's okay. Is so. I just want to bring it back to when you were eleven. Yeah. Um, is this? Is this? Is that seminal moment? The moment that you began to see sort of how the perception uh, of the artwork can um, grab someone to to want to be to want to buy it, want to own it, and also see the future potential of it. And that what I'm what I'm hearing is that informs sort of how you see your role in crypto art today, and also your interests uh, definitely in, in other artists as well. But I guess I guess uh, going back to the, to the to the freeze thing, it taught me two things. It taught me one: there are a lot of people out there who will buy art for the absurdity of it, and they'll buy it not only because the absurd. So going back to that ice cube. Um, it's it's ridiculous, but it probably is worth more than three thousand dollars, three thousand pounds now, um, because it's such an absurd idea that no one else has thought of it. And and a lot of the time in art, that's that's what matters is is if someone hasn't done it before, then it then it becomes valuable. It becomes interesting. But duct taping a banana on a wall. Yeah. I guess, yeah, I, I actually think the artwork that came after that, where the guy wrote, um, you know, uh, I, 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 I don't want to butcher your podcast immediately, but the Epstein didn't kill himself thing. I actually think that the fact, not, not the fact he wrote that, I think the yeah. fact that he got arrested for writing that and taken out of the, um, out of the gallery space was the most artistic moment in that entire thing. Sure. Because it was like you can duct tape you can duct tape a banana to the wall and eat it for and you know after someone bought it for a hundred thousand, but dare you write something that's counter to the political narrative, you'll be taken out. So I don't know if the it almost feels. I mean, if it was the entire 
you know, chain of events was planned as part of the artwork. I think that's, that's, that entire chain of events was an artistic moment. I mean, I think, um, sorry. So, so you have this sort of, like when you look at an art piece, you're, you're not only um, considering the artwork itself, you're also considering um, uh, the, the venue and the message and also the events that occur around it. Yeah, I think that's, so I think that's kind of, um, that's, that's, that's a really important part in selling art. I mean, it, it's, so I, I have this idea, this, uh, con- this concept, I, I find it quite hard to put into words, but it's this idea of scarcity meaning more than just um, there is one of something. So the idea that you can have a scarce moment in time. So like m- my, my dad grew up during the Blitz um, and he paints artwork, which uh, includes all sorts of um, iconography from that time period, because to him, uh, the Germans were the boogeymen. Um, you know, it, it, as, as a kid growing up, it was quite a different setting. And only he could create art like this. If someone else created art like that, it wouldn't, it wouldn't mean anything. And it's the same with um, Gerhard Richter, is he creates uh, there's this, this very famous um, paint, very controversial uh, artwork he created, which was, it's a kind of blurred image of an SS officer, but it's a commentary on the guilt of Germany and the, um, the kind of the sins of the past and a reflection of that. And I think that those artists who can create those pieces of work because they existed in those time periods or they existed in those moments, that's a type of scarcity that moves through the dimension of time. So it doesn't, you know, scarcity doesn't have to mean uniqueness. It doesn't have to mean um, artificially enforced. It, It can mean that could be scarce or the the experience the traumatic experience that someone had gone through uh could be scarce um or like um uh, with abramovich and i i have forgotten her first name um but abramovich the performance artist she uh she yes. does this the very strange Sylvie? lots of, uh sorry is it sylvie sylvia oh sylvia yeah maybe yeah yeah yeah, yeah. i think i think so i'm not um I'm not 100, but I, anyway her last name is abramovich her her work um, obviously sparks a lot of conspiracy theories, and 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 I've been to events um, where I've seen things like that performed, and I, I can assure anyone listening that it's just rich people being silly. Um, sure. But <laughs> but the um, the her uh, you know her thing where she walked all the way across the um, Great Wall of China and then met in the middle with uh, the person she was breaking up with. That's like an idea that 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 moment in time and that, that, that draw that drew her to that was scarce. It didn't, it couldn't ever exist again. It's, it's, it's the concept of, you know, it could only happen once and it could only happen then. And, and I think there's another artist who, who captured this and I actually, don't know the name but um who shot him who got someone to shoot him on um camera it's, it's very famous all over youtube he uh nailed himself to a vw bus a vw um car as well but he he had uh he, he had someone shoot him not not deadly just like in the leg or the uh, the side but he recorded that moment and 
we're getting into more like conceptual territory, uh, which is sure. not really the current crypto space. But I think the point that I'm trying to make is is that idea that that time uh, that that thing that happened could never happen again, and that moment that was captured is the artwork, and that makes that scarce. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm trying to kind of get across. I I, sure. I don't know if that makes makes any sense at all, but but I think this doesn't necessarily apply to apply to uh, crypto art. This 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 more applies, I think, to the general general concept that I'm trying to trying to put into words of the idea yeah. that scarcity can be more more than that. And another another example of what scarcity could be is an artist who's incredibly talented, um, and you can see potential in them, but they may not be at the level where they're going to be yet so you put time and you put effort into working with them because you believe that they will one day be um an artist accomplished enough to sell and they'll they'll grow and you you throw your as as when i worked and i still do work as an artist manager um throwing your time into doing something like that with someone and and helping them develop and and not doing it in a way where I think the worst thing that an artist manager or a curator could do or a collector is tell an artist, I'll make this, unless they're commission based, obviously, um, is tell an artist, make this or do this. I think that you need to, you, you gently, and this can take years um, of work, you gently move them in a direction that you think is more financially viable. And it may not be, but without them losing their soul. Um, and I think that's very hard to do. And I think a lot of artists... I think a lot of artists still end up in a trap where they'll have that one work that's successful and then they'll repeat the same concepts over and over and over again. And then suddenly their artwork becomes meaningless and that's kind of going, going to Warhol. Um, that was his entire point of his artwork was the fact that you repeat something until it becomes meaningless, but he kind of abstractly predicted the future of what the art world would become or maybe he or maybe by doing it he created it um my dog is doing everything possible to ruin this <laughs> podcast right oh no that's okay sorry i kind of yeah i, I went i went off on a, on a bit of a tangent no, there but that's okay because i feel like i could tie it back to something that that uh, i think uh, is important to address still in terms of learning about who and you see the dog right yes learning about who you are it's you talk about scarcity and scarcity in art scarcity of the moment scarcity of uh, the situation of the topic based on like your the experience of uh of your father and um him doing artwork in yeah you know related to the related to the blitzkrieg right that's that's rare in that he can only do it and it be meaningful because he was there yeah right yeah and he grew and up so, he grew up during that time so it's it's scarcity exactly. of a person as well i guess is is what which i would is, say is yeah exactly right which is where i want to bring it to you it's sort of your experience is is scarce among those in in our industry you know you decided to leave from what i know you decided to leave school at 16 and i think this makes sense uh when you talk about you spent a lot of your time around adults, which which to me says you grew up faster than than many of the kids in, uh, of your own age. And then 
only two years later, you're curating your first show at 18. Mm -hmm. And it's not just, it's, it's an erotic show. Uh, yes, uh, you know about erotic art, a mature subject. Unfortunately, I... Google removed a lot of the images we had. We had a this yeah. isn't, maybe not going to go down too well, but we had a lot of scantily clad girls serving drinks from the box, the club, the club that I I, I worked at. Yeah. Um. And and there were there were loads of pictures of it online. They seem mm-hmm. to have kind of disappeared. I, I guess Google didn't want them. Um. Well, yeah. I found a lot of the uh, photography, which for me was yeah. uh, really really interesting because I'm. I'm doing this self-exploration myself, uh, doing the self-exploration around uh, eroticism with a somatic sexual, uh, yes. uh, somatic sex therapy and education. So I'm learning to sort of like understand what eroticism is for me. But what I found most intriguing about this, for, I'm 42 years old. Here you are at 18 treating the subject so delicately so uh with such respect that it 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 doesn't even border pornography you know yeah. it's it's fine art and where where does where does that come from in you so um i've been exposed to uh in, in no inappropriate way um it, it been exposed to nudity uh the human body um my entire life my my dad did a book called bailey's democracy um that was I, I can't remember the exact year, but I was young at the time and I, I came out of the studio and the idea was everyone is naked. Everyone gets a pose. Um, everyone does, does at first the idea was everyone did the same pose, but it, it transformed and essentially it just, it became everyone was naked. And it is, um, if you look up the book, it is the most diverse collection of people and individuals of all genders, races, backgrounds, sizes, everything. Um, and he, it was just this, just, I guess the, the human body to me has always been a piece, uh, uh, I see it as a work of art. And then the show, The Human Relations, which was the first the first show I did, which was um, the erotic photography show, there were, there were two artists involved. So one of them was my brother. And a lot of the shots that he had were kind of, they were less on the erotic side. They were more on the kind of candid photography of, of, of girls he had been with and girls, they were all, everything was obviously okayed. Everyone was happy with, with, with the pictures being shown and sold. Um, and they were kind of candid photography and just kind of moments. And, and they captured these kind of, these non-sexual beautiful moments of, um, of intimacy between two people, but not, not in a sexual way, in a kind of, you can see, you know, you can see the love and the relationship and you can see the trust and you can see the meaning behind that. And then the other photographer was in the show who, who actually some of her work is on the BAE. And um, funnily, one of the girls, um, uh, a, a, I want to make sure I say her stage name, Alessa Savage, goes, is now um, an adult performer. Um, she wasn't at the time. But um, so it, it, it's, it's almost funny how uh, her work the tasteful work that we did originally and we and we had in that show she's now moved on to um the less the less tasteful side of of that of that spectrum i guess um yes. <laughs> so but the 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 other photographer that's female photographer um mari she is we we still work together um she's fantastic we've worked in uh, we've probably done she's been in maybe eight out of my 15 17 shows um, you've done set you've done you've curated 17 shows 
Yeah, so 15 in the UK, two in Japan. Um, Are you still curating at the moment? Well, everything shut down, and and honestly, oh, sure, I was min- yeah. so so the last big show I did. Oh, sorry, so just to finish off the 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 human oh, relations yeah. thing. So so the idea was to approach this subject matter um, from a perspective of pure beauty and kind of just show the beauty of the female form. And I think what what was amazing about Mari's work. So so Fenton's my brother's was more on the side like i said it was candid imagery it was more about the emotional attachment between two individuals and then mari's like the work, interpersonal relationship that they yeah. shared those intimate yeah. intimate moments captured uh together in the nude um, exactly exactly yeah, oh no, no 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 actually most of most of the fenton's work weren't nude um that was the okay. difference between him and him and him and mari's mari's were that's an interesting juxtaposition more, yeah yeah mari's the interesting thing was mari being being a woman um her work was far more erotic in that sort of sense but again still tasteful and it was a celebration of of all all kind of things femininity and beauty and I think that it was done in a way we we picked the images we were very careful with you know the way that we chose them the way we chose to present them and the whole the whole uh so when I curated then and and still now if I if I do it again I always come up with a theme um and I try and tie it all together. So the theme for her work was um, Freud and all of her works were named after Freudian ideas mm-hmm. and these kind of in a getting back to what I was talking about earlier, actually, is, is the inner person and the inner who you really are and who you would want to be and that idealistic person who you could, who you could be. So uh one of the pictures in a lesser at, at Frankie's is um, is 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 the now famous Alessa Savage, um, kind of sitting in um, Marco Pierre White's restaurant smoking, and there's just this kind of it's it's beautiful and she's nude and it's but it's not sexual. There's there's a sadness and there's a there's a reality of kind of the. The limit, the the limits of what beauty can be, and and the reality of it. Because Mari's work was all done with um, all done with natural light. There's no makeup. There's no, you know, or if there is makeup, it's very minor. Um, it's all capturing the female form for what it is, and the beauty of of what it really is um, for those individuals. You know, not not not, you know, there wasn't a huge range, you know, that's 14, 14 artworks of maybe five or six girls. So, so of course that's going to be some limit to uh, mm-hmm. the diversity of, of, of body type, but the, it was, it was an honest representation. And I think that's something that erotic photographers find hard to do when they, I guess when they, when there's an attraction and when it's, um, when 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 in when there's a sexual attraction between the between the the photographer and the subject, it's a lot harder for them to capture the true beauty of that person because they're always going to do it through an idealistic lens. And in a way, the non the imperfections and the non-idealism is far more beautiful than any perfected image could ever be. Um yeah, I is think, that, is I think. That, that gets at the soul of 
I think art in general. Yeah. Um, the, the, the pieces, for me anyway, the pieces that connect with me are those that don't, aren't perfect, aren't trying to be perfect. Um, you know, they're sharing something intimate of the moment that's personal, but also really beautiful. Um, yeah. I want to transition to uh, another another one of your um, curated shows. It was, uh, let me get it here, The Road Less Traveled. And I'll tell you why this is interesting to me. Um, I have an academic background in both fine art and computer science, uh, but I've never felt like I've had a formal education in either. Yeah. Which I know just seems, you know, uh, doesn't make sense, but I've always felt like I'm a self-taught artist. And uh, this, this really, this idea of the show really connected with me. And I want you to tell, tell the people a little bit about what it's about. And then I have the, the question for you, um, which is, do you think part of the show was commentary on your own experience growing up in the art, in the art world? Yes, I, I think that's really um, that's really interesting uh, way of looking looking at it. I so the show the show itself was the idea um, that all of the artists in it had no formal training, so they were all what you would dub out, outsider artists. And I think one of the quotes that I, I really wish I had had um, as kind of leads to the show, but I, I only discovered it afterwards, is from Bob Ross. And I think that he puts art school. Um, perfectly where he says uh they'll tell you everything about a tree except for how to paint one um and i think that's, that's so so true yeah i think that that's an excellent quote because a lot of people they want to go to art school to actually learn to you know not everyone wants to do it in this conceptual oh why did you do this and i know we've been talking about that a lot but some people do generally just want to make figurative art that's you know they want to know how to draw um yeah. and in a funny sort of way, you're almost better doing like a, a lower doctorate degree where you learn anatomy drawing to uh, to, to learn that these days. Um, but but what uh, getting back to, getting back to um, the subject at hand, uh, the route less traveled was a show. I think we had fourteen artists in it. Uh, I work with a lot of them still. Ollie Sylvester is actually on the BAE. He posts all the time. He's one of the uh, original. In fact, he may be the first person ever to use gifs as artwork um he did them back in 2004 uh for um t-mobile and orange as as and some of them are actually on the bae you can buy them there they're like um you know that you can tell that they were made on one of those very old uh mac computers um but yeah the, the, the idea behind the show was to get these artists together who hadn't had any formal background really display them to the world um we, we actually uh, kind of, we had Connor Hurst in there as well, Damien Hurst's son. Um, he, he had a really interesting piece. Uh, I wish he'd pursued art more, um, which was all about- uh, Is that the sculpture, the, I think? Yeah, the sculpture yeah. of the Mac. And it, it had a diagram of all of these kind of pieces and talked about all of the, I think it's Foxconn uh, factories, um, oh. where there had been all the suicides and the low payment and the slave labor, basically conditions and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and he made a really, really, poignant artwork about that i kind of wish he had um he'd, he'd pursued the art more but we i just wanted to put on show and and this has always been my goal is is kind of to show people that academia isn't necessarily the only route that you can go down to be a success in in almost any field obviously 
there are some that's required doctor lawyer etc um, yeah, the, the quote-unquote professional fields where yeah, certification exactly. is required to perform. But I, I think, you know, there's a huge problem at the moment with student student debt and people being in, in, yeah. indebted because of degrees that, that didn't really help them. And I, I would, and, and a lot of people say it would be easy for me to say from a position of privilege of what I uh, grew up with that it was easy for me to do this. But I, I, I had... It would be hard than, to ignore, but... Yes. It would be hard to ignore, yeah. And I, but I would say and that was my kind of show with this with this show is i'd argue that it's not necessarily true i i think anyone with the drive can do it um i didn't get any of the shows that i did because of who my parents were i um so how my first how my first show came about actually was i was working as a promoter at uh, a burlesque club called the box in london there's also one in new york and i met some very drunk traders and they happened to own an art gallery. And then I said, hey, I've got these artists um, that I know. And one of them was Mari. She was the one who I put forward first. And there was going to be another um, photographer called Daniel in it, but it ended up changing uh, the last minute to be my brother. Um, and initially, they, we, we sat down. They had no idea who I was. We were going and we were doing the show. So this, that, that, I mean... Later on, the press that came from it was a lot of it was due to my family, and a lot of that was because of that. But the initial actually getting the show and getting it off the ground had nothing to do with who I was. So I would say to anyone, if you put yourself out there and you go for it, and you you don't let failure, because um, because you fail a lot um, over and over and over again before you get to anywhere. Um, yeah. If you don't let those things get in your way, eventually something will give way. You will you will push through something, but you've just got to know that, you know, I guess you've got to know that, uh, I'm getting into a little bit more different things. I guess you've got to know that the world doesn't owe you anything. And well, it's, people, uh, yeah, Sorry. and no, no matter what, you've got to keep trying to, to, to push forward through your own will and you will get there. But I think the problem with a lot of schools is is they'll tell people, because you've got this degree, you are now entitled to something. And, and it's just not true. Um, you know, uh, I, if you left school, say, at 16 and started working at, um, I'll, I'll give an American reference, Walmart, um, by the time the person who stays in school until they're 20 leaves and they end up with the exact same job, you're the manager of Walmart and they're just an employee. And obviously that's a very low level example. Um, but I would say that there is truth. There is truth in that when it comes to creative field, um, time is something that you you have an advantage with. There's a particular. Well, I want to I want to make two comments and then a quote. Uh, the first comment is um, having privilege isn't a guarantee of success. You know, yes. just because you put your show on, it could have flopped regardless of who your father or family members are. Um, there's always that opportunity. Uh, the other piece here is, and I always, when we talk about education, and particularly of like a bachelor's degree, I don't, I never completed my bachelor's degree. I think this is part of my own personal drive of why I feel self-taught. Um, but that piece of paper, at least here in the States, uh, it no longer opens doors necessarily. Mm -hmm but it doesn't shut them on your face, yeah. uh, which is what has happened to me several times. 
And uh, just in my career, you know, working in tech, you learn pretty quickly that prestige matters only if they want it to matter. Yeah. Like if yeah. you're if you're up for a job and you're neck and neck with somebody else, but they really want to push, you know, the other candidate forward and say he went to Stanford and you went to a state school. Uh, they'll use that against you because he went to Stanford, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think, I think um, as well, uh, it's important with, with all of these things, doctorates, PhDs, uh, the, the, the fact that I grew up in a, um, the background I did, is these things open the doors for you, but they don't necessarily allow you just to walk through them. Um, right. there's, there's less obstacles in the way, but then at the same time in the inverse, and this is something that I, I think a lot of people don't understand about growing up with um, families who are, who are kind of in the industry and are famous, um, it makes it very, very hard and to work at a normal job. And not, I'm not saying like a bar job. I, I loved working at a bar. I loved working at the box as a promoter. I loved, I loved all of these jobs where it didn't matter who I was. It mattered what I did. And it mattered how hard, that I, how hard I worked. Um, and I, whenever I worked at a gallery as an assistant or I worked at, for instance, I worked at RSA Ridley Scott's Associates, and I, I felt like, you know, I'd got that job undeservingly. And and also everyone who I worked with felt like I got that job undeservingly and maybe rightly so, but it did make it almost impossible for me to feel as if I could work in one of those spaces and I needed to forge my own path because that was the only thing that I was Otherwise, I was always going to kind of be looked at as someone who was there because of who their parents were. And, and I really didn't want that. That's why I that's why whenever I've needed to work for money and it's and it's been being necessity and it's and that's that's been a lot. It's actually only since crypto that I've kind of been free of free of that is um, is I've worked in bars and I've worked in clubs and I've worked in the service industry as a waiter and, and, and things like that, because it's not where people don't know who you, yeah, and people who don't, you are people and people don't care. They just care they how care. hard you work. And right. that's, that was, you know, one of my favorite periods in my life, obviously has been working with artists, but was when I was doing planning art shows, working 15 hours a day at a par and then and then once a week doing a promotion job for the box and once a week doing a promotion job uh, job for a, a bar called the scots scotch of st james and all of that stuff was self-earned none of that came through um through kind of uh, family connections or anything like that it was just hard work and and i really valued getting that kind of validation that you can that it that it wasn't just you know i was a person who was competent not just because of who my family was. I, I uh, before we go further, I really want to uh, thank you for uh, being opening up and being so honest about about that. I think it's easy for some to sort of like be modest about it and say, "Oh, it wasn't that big of a deal." But you're really uh, opening up your soul here and I just wanted to acknowledge that and appreciate and tell you that I really appreciate your sharing sort of this inner monologue thought that you have going on also recognizing maybe not recognizing uh, you know that, that people do perceive us you know yeah. in, in, in ways uh, maybe we do expect because often the quote is 
people think about you less than we think they do. And I think that's true of people who don't have the kind of background that you do. Uh, well, I, I, I don't, I mean, I don't want to sound, uh, come across egotistical. I don't think people are thinking about me all the time. I think it's just when right. I'm in those work situations. And, yes. um, yeah. and, you know, it was always before people knew they were very happy to work with me and, they were, and everything was fine. But as soon as they found out kind of who I was, why I was like, so for a short period of time, because uh, my, my parents really wanted me to, I worked for, um, I worked for Damien's gallery and, and I literally got the job just because I knew Damien. There was no other reason that I should have had that job. And everyone was fine with me until they worked that out. And then suddenly it became, it became this feeling of they wanted to get rid of me. And I, I mean, maybe I'd feel the same way in that position. Um, but that's like I said, I, I, that, that that's pushed me to want yeah. to be something else because the other thing that I absolutely hated um, and this is something that since starting the BAE has, has changed. And I, I feel like I finally at least earned um, a little bit of uh, my own kind of slice in the world is, is I always being introduced as David Bailey's son. And that was something that kind of, it, it, it bothered me um, mm. being in those kind of going to those events, doing all of that stuff, doing all the stuff that you would expect someone um of, of that kind of from that family to do and just being introduced like that kind of gave me you know uh kind of prickles on my spine but then after about a year of doing the BAE and I did a few talks at uh university and and I met some fantastic people from ETH London and um stuff like that it was suddenly I wasn't David Bailey's son anymore as being introduced as the CEO of BAE right. and someone who was involved in crypto art and and that's given me the strength and the identity to kind of be my own person. I'm doing my own thing now. I'm not, you know, there's no direct connection. Sure. We have a couple of works by Bailey on the, um, on the exchange. Why wouldn't we, uh, you know, you've got to, you got to take advantage of everything that you have. Of course. Um, but it's become, it's not become who I am anymore. And that's something that I've, I really, really like being part of this community for is, 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 is given me, the power to be my own own person which i i totally uh align with from my own experience um crypto art has given me sort of this um uh, the best way to explain it is to be myself you yeah. know um to be the me i always thought i could be without the the little box that everybody puts you in yes um, you know like what what i want to yeah, what I want to what I want to touch on next because I want to make sure that we get to sort of like the state of BAE and sort of where where you're thinking about the future. But the way I hope I hope to get there is um, one of the things I think that is really unique about you is your formal and informal education in fine art. Um, you're young co comparatively to me and. Uh, to maybe some of the other CEOs in the business, but you know, you've been in front of the camera since you're what, 11? You've been in the art industry informally your entire life, formally since you're 16 maybe. You're talking yeah. decades of experience that people in the industry don't have. And I think that is what makes people in our industry and in the crypto art industry don't have. I think that what's, that's what makes uh, blockchain art exchange BAE so unique and so such a 
such a, a, a an opportunity for um, for artists and for you to sort of like grow this business. So, in two thousand eighteen, you had mentioned. I'm going to read a quote here. Um, I think it was on London Live, and you had yes. said that blockchain is the beginning of a new artistic movement. Everything across the board is effective, but effective affected by blockchain. Every part of art is going to be affected by this technology. Two questions. Uh, do you still believe that? And then the other is, uh, how does 2021 shape up uh, compared to your vision in 2018 for where you saw things? Okay, so yeah, that London Live one, I'm, I'm glad you found that. That was, uh, that was literally live for five minutes. That was the most nerve-wracking experience of my entire <laughs> life. I, I, um, like, you I, look I super kind of, calm. Oh no, that's good. Inside, yeah. I was my heart was was going, but yeah. I still do believe that art. I think that what's happening. So, I, I put it in simple terms: is um, two things. Convenience always wins, and art, visual art, is the last thing, creative thing that hasn't gone digital. So, if we just follow the logic of the way that the world generally moves, or the way that the world's been moving in the last twenty years plus since the internet was invented, um, everything moves towards convenience. Everything moves towards digital. If you're a billionaire who um, keeps all of his art in a climate-controlled vault in Sweden somewhere, and you're paying ridiculous amounts every year for the insurance and that vault. I think you'd be much happier just cold storing it on a digital wallet. And why the hell does the physical thing actually matter? People are going to be like, oh, well, because it does. But when you get to that level of collecting, it doesn't. It, it, the, the physical thing becomes completely irrelevant. It is, in fact, the physical part of the artwork is a liability, not an asset because it degrades. It has all sorts of problems. So on the, the super high end, I think that's interesting. And I think there are a lot of companies out there still um, trying to do the fractionalization of, of, of very high value artworks. Uh, they don't get talked about much in our, our part of the community, but they do exist. Um, and I think they're relatively successful. And then on the lower end, uh, what it does is what, what I've always wanted it to do for artists. Um, and, and I get in, you know, I'm, 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 I'm a little bit much sometimes on Twitter, but I do actually have a lot of respect for all of the other platforms in the industry. Um, I think that all of them have done amazing things. And I think that they are, um, they are part of this incredible journey and they're, they're helping build in the new industry, which is no small feat. Um, and I, I think from the small end, it gives people the opportunity to get involved with the art world when they couldn't before. It breaks up the paradigm of the kind of in-club. Um, it makes it possible to reach collectors all over the world. And it makes the transaction instant. And also it creates a secondary market for small artworks where there is no way it at all before when you bought an artwork for unless you got really lucky um when you bought an artwork for 200 quid of of let's say a cow in a field um that you were going to be able to flip that for more a few weeks later um yeah. there is no way that you know unless you bought you know a banksy that, oh that's the other thing about art is is art and bitcoin um share intrinsic values and are actually incredibly similar as assets uh, in a few ways. So one of the, one of the ways, one of the major ways is, it's the only other thing that I know of um, 
that can go up 9 million percent in two years um so you could buy a banksy and you could have got really early on and got him for like 100 200 pounds and now they're worth two three million and there's not many assets that work like that and i think that art art is one of the few ones that does the the worry i do have with the crypto community is is, is uh, crypto art community sorry is the speed at which it moves and i think this is a if i had a message to the other ceos of the other companies is try to slow it down it's it because they all i think most of them they either come from a tech background or a trading background and the you know the idea is to make money as fast as possible and flip things as fast as possible but the art industry is slow and it's always been slow it's you don't make money in in five years i mean sometimes an artwork can go up by 20 million overnight like the Japanese guy um, who bought the Basquiat's and just put, priced everyone else out of the market um, because he decided to pay 40 million for something that was worth 20 million. Um, he, that can happen overnight, but generally speaking, it, it's a very slow moving industry. And what I think people should really be looking at is, is not stuff like, oh, what's, uh, let's say Trevor Jones gonna be worth in two weeks or two months? Or four months they should be thinking about what trevor drones is going to be worth in 10 years yeah. or people um, in, or people in one or, day yeah exactly or people in one day and i um yeah. and the people say oh i i think there is so the positive parts i think there is no he's a deserving artist i think he works sure. incredibly hard i think that it's great that he sold this amount of work the negative parts he managed to sell a digital artwork for more than the highest priced art digital artist of all time up till that point who had been who'd been whose artwork had been shown in the Vatican and St. Paul's um so what I would put forward as my warning to Nifty Gateway is don't raise the ceiling too high um because you're gonna have the art critics and the people from the art world come in and they're gonna see that and they're gonna know because they've been in the art world that, wow, this person with a still image and no physical hardware managed to outsell someone who did an entire digital art installation. And that sale was at Phillips as a resale, which makes it objectively valuable, which makes it you can get a bank loan on it. So I would I would just say don't raise the ceiling too high um, because it will eventually fall down on you is that's that's and that's 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 the worry you know i've seen it with galleries a million times is eventually you reach a point where you can't convince the next person to pay more for it it's it's in a funny sort of way it's it, it's almost like um something like herbalife once you reach that level of the pyramid scheme you can't convince the next person to buy so you've got to start from a lower point i think that making it this inaccessible unless unless the idea with people is is and this could very well be the idea and and, and be be more what they're leaning towards is to create a double zero on the roulette wheel and attract more people to the industry because there's the opportunity of getting that double zero is like as think, unlikely as it is i think that um i think that that's that's some of the thought here i think sure the, uh, the galleries like Super Rare, uh, uh, who appeal to, let's say, um, 
at our wallets, uh, Nifty Gateway, yeah. who has an opportunity to through their through their monetization model to appeal to those who can pay with fiat, right? Yes. Um, there's really great opportunity here to introduce to the introduce this space to the, to other parts of the of the of the art world, or maybe even not even the art world, but general to the general public. But I do, I think they should heed that warning. I agree with you. Um, and I, I would especially warn, um, and, and, and I'd actually see more super errors kind of, you know, we, we've, whether we've had our differences, but we've been in this together since the beginning. And I, I would especially warn towards them to be very careful with the market that they target because they're targeting the same market as a company that has literally hundreds of millions to throw at this. Um, yeah, they're going. Yeah. I just think that at some point they're going to get scooped up by them, and that's, I think that might be yeah. part of their business model. I, I don't know for sure, but if I was them, I would be thinking like that. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess yeah. maybe they want to get bought out by the next bigger person. Is kind of the yeah. idea. Which is, but, I mean, when you're when you've got the Winklevi and and the Cockfosters, uh, you know, yeah. behind a company, it's just and and they they're privileged upon privileged. Um, Yes, with, with lots of Bitcoin and and old money, you're talking yeah. about a big, you know, a big a big organization that 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 is has got the amount of money to continue pushing forward in this space. They could no, exactly. they could lose money until they're making money. Exactly, and I think that's I think that might be might be the model that they're going for, which is which is a standard yeah. tech tech model. Um, you know, sure. I think since the social media days, that's kind of become the model, hasn't it? Is uh, is yeah. lose money well, until until Twitter work out start- how to make a profit later. Twitter didn't start profit, didn't become uh, profitable to, until 2014. Yeah, right. Well, and we're four, we're yeah. six years we're six years away from that, which is like, yeah. and they've been around since 2009, right? See, so, so my my background, I come from a very different space, which is yeah. the business needs to be profitable immediately. Um, yeah. And 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 for people who, so the thing about BAE that people don't realize is for the whole of 2019 none of our sales were on chain in the fact that there was no data um because we basically people paid either by via woocommerce because that's what we used um or via bitcoin through the woocommerce payment gateway so we actually didn't have um measurable data on on chain the only data people saw was was the fee i was paying to actually tokenize to our own contract um so we've actually been as a company, we, we do 10 to 20% per month, uh, which is what I was always aiming for to be a sustainable business. I don't know. I don't know if the goal for me with the BAE is to get bought out. I would prefer keep this as something that is for artists. There needs to be, if this, if, if art is going to become increasingly centralized and the way to make money on it is going to become increasingly on some platforms, I feel that a check and balance is important. And what I what I look at with the BAE now, um, and obviously we're still building out tech. We we actually just did something really cool. Uh, it's got some bugs at the moment, but uh, as we actually as as this goes out, it'll probably be fixed. But we just installed, and I hate everyone saying this, but it is. I'm pretty sure it's an industry first. Um, when you come on the BAE now, uh, you as an art artist can list in any token. And the buyer can always pay an Ethereum and it will automatically swap via Uniswap, which I think is pretty cool. Um, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, I think this that's is, like a nice nice little feature. Yeah. Um, and then... This, you know, 
I, I, I don't know if someone else will probably install that in, in a few seconds because I'm competing with tech people so they can, you know, yeah. they can, they can pump that sort of stuff out. But that, I think um, that that's the way it should. I mean, so uh, I love this option because I think that pricing in Ethereum does a detriment to most artists yeah. today. Uh, because what happens is an artwork that was priced at 0.3 ETH when it was $280 and maybe the artist doesn't have the the ability, you know, the 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 wallet funds to change the price now, right? Uh, now at 0.3, it's whatever that you know percentage is at at 12.80 or whatever the current price. So you're, you know, and as a collector, they're seeing that valuation. Well, it was going to cost me um, $80, and now it's going to cost me six seven hundred dollars. Well, I'm not going to buy that, right? Yeah. So you know, artists, I think most collectors for artists that aren't the top 1% or even the top 0.1% in crypto right now, um, being priced in Ethereum does a detriment. So what I love yeah. about this is uh, I've been experimenting with pricing in DAI. Yeah. And this way it stays at a stable price and then they could pay. And, and, and in your case, you're, a, you're affording the ability for a collector to pay in there in their uh, Ethereum or whatever token that they feel like is. is yeah, so, so basically you could price in $100 a die and no yeah. matter how much Ethereum goes up, the person can come and then pay, pay the Ether equivalent of that die. So I we just it. basically, we, we, we just removed one layer of friction so you don't have to go yes. to Uniswap, you don't have to trade your um, Ethereum for, for anything anymore. And then the next, the next stage of the BAE um, that we're doing is we want to... We're introducing what I'm going to keep calling until I launch it uh, an achievement system, but it's not. Um, we want to we want to launch a way of bringing the gallery walkthrough into the digital space, and I the way of doing that is a kind of badge system. So I'll give you the examples that someone could easily copy and think of, um, which which isn't too much. Like say you got ten followers, that that could be a badge you get. You sell 100 ETH, that could be a badge. And then you're rewarded in BAE pay whenever you get that. But then on the more abstract side, you could get badges for creating certain genres of art. You could get mm -hmm. badges for having 20 years experience in the art world. You could get badges for having a degree. You could get badges. Like, I feel like there's, the, my, my goal is to slow people down and make people think a little bit more about what they're buying. What I love, what I love about your approach, and I'm going to take this from a slide uh, that you presented in 2019, where you talked about uh, giving uh, artists getting access to a $700 billion market economy yeah. um, by giving them greater autonomy. And um, I don't think that there's anyone, I don't want to say there isn't anyone in the industry. Let me rephrase this. Um, I think you're one of the few in the industry who put artist first uh, or, or, or think of it as an artist-centric experience yeah. uh, in conjunction with the collector experience because you yeah. have that background. Well, I, I think this is, a, this is actually a learned lesson from seeing galleries rise mm -hmm. and fall. And the galleries that fail, uh, or at least they... they, they they go to the top really fast and then they crap, they hit a ceiling and they crash. And the galleries that go collector centric, 
the galleries that last longest, Gagosian, um, in fact, Gagosian is the only example I really need to use. Um, the, he, Larry Gagosian built his entire business on artists. He didn't build it on collectors. He built it through relationships of knowing these artists, of getting to know Basquiat, of getting to know Warhol, of, of kind of becoming part of their circle. And then the collectors came afterwards. And as he met collectors, obviously he, he shielded to them, he sold to them. Um, but his focus was always artists first. If you had a great artist, he would come and find it. He would come and take it. I mean, he he get, he got to ridiculous levels. There's stories about him finding out where an artist lives and then as he got richer, flying on a helicopter to their house and saying, hey, why don't you work for me instead? Um, obviously, that's super shark, like ridiculous yeah. shark levels of, uh, yeah, a bit of a jerk. <laughs> but, um, but hey, If he could do it, right? Yeah, but like it, he, these these galleries don't didn't build themselves the the long lasting ones didn't build themselves focusing on collectors. They built them focusing on the artists and putting the artists first. And I think that that's a great mistake that, uh, that actually not all the galleries make. I think um, there's a couple of them uh, that that to understand this because they also have a little bit of experience in the art world but it's about it's about longevity um right and i don't now think I, that collector focused has longevity i mean i'm you know i was trying to be careful about saying i didn't want to say like um BAE was the only platform out there i i don't yeah. you know i think it's no secret I mean, uh, you, you can people, say that yeah <laughs> i mean i could yeah <laughs> But you know, from my experience in working with some with the, some of the top platforms, including Super Air, uh, which you know uh, I don't really have a relationship anymore, um, the there there you're one of the few that I've worked with who are who not only claim to be artist centric, but also actually present themselves through the work that they do. To be artist centric, and I think a lot of a lot of the other platforms have some work to do there. You know, I think I come from the background of professionally in customer experience design, service design, UX design, and so I have this sort of like empathy experience, empathy level of experience uh, in terms of seeing how products have been developed over the last twenty years. Yeah. And uh, as a user, as an artist, you know, I know what I want in the industry. I thought wearable was going to be that. It's shifted. Um, you know, and, and BAE at the time, I was still new in the industry, so I really wasn't sure where we were going. I've gotten to and, know and, you over the years. What's, what slowed BAE down really was, yeah. was the fact that it was a WordPress. Um, a lot of people, sure. and especially tech people, ran a mile as soon as they saw that. Um, yeah. And it's now it's a web-free React. I, I, I think... We have one of the most well, responsive yeah. websites, especially seeing as uh, we have, we do zero compression, um, which we will add at some point because mm -hmm. obviously it will get too big uh, at a certain stage. But um, and you're talking about MyBay, yeah, MyBay, MyBay.io, which is it's it, which is the more it's kind of coming slowly towards the vision of what I originally wanted to create and yeah. what I it's simple right now, but it will get levels of complexity will be added but i want to keep it simple to the point and not lose sight of what it's supposed to be yeah i i, I love that approach i think that having a sort of i mean i don't know if you know what an mvp is or a minimum viable product yeah. okay so um 
this is that's that's a startup concept the idea of getting it out there you know and 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 developing it as you go along uh, i think that some of the people some of those in the industry have moved faster than than um than i would like them to move you know in particular rareables ui has gotten really overloaded and uncomfortable I, for me to use yeah i i actually really liked rareable when it first first came out it's it's a mess yeah, me too yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's going mess. on yeah. there, and then, you know, it, it there's two. They started with a simple concept, and they should have stuck to that simple concept. It's it's yeah. too many layers on layers. Yeah, I mean, I think in some cases they were being uh, trying to be mindful and reactionary to like the, a lot of the NSFW work that was um, at the you time see, coming out. That's the my uh, that's my advantage. I don't care at all. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> as well, long yeah, as it's because, not porn, you can upload whatever right. you want. <laughs> because, well, nudity, nudity in fine art is expected, yeah. I, you know, and accepted. It's yeah. right as long as it's not porn. Which um, I mean, what's it? Open Sea actually, when we first started, yeah. they said to me, they warned us because we had some not safe work way, way, way back when we first launched, and yeah. I sent them links to Robert Maplethorpe. And said, "I think that you should. I think that you should have a look at this. And this is considered art. So I think right, exactly. that you know, as this goes along, and actually they do seem to have changed their tune now. Um, as this goes along, and if you're going to have art platforms on here, you're going to start seeing this stuff, and you're going to have to accept that it's a part. It's a part of the community. Right. You can't. You can't just. If remember the conversation we we're having on Twitter, uh, you can't just uh, censor." Uh, pornographic quote unquote pornographic imagery out of the art experience yeah you know <laughs> yeah uh, it's, it's, it's not gonna happen so one of the things i want, I want it's not gonna happen at all one uh i think you know we've gone a little over time but i have something i want to want to talk to you about if that's okay yeah of course okay so one of the things that i saw on an early version of bae was the sort of uh grading system uh like the gem like the gem inspired grading system. And uh, I bristled at that for a minute, but then I realized what, what you were attempting to do as I listened to your presentation. And I'm curious, uh, when did you decide to pull that down? And is that still in your roadmap? I, I still have it. I still have all the pieces. So it's a little bit of a weird story that came about because um, one of the people who originally came up with the concept and kind of bouncing off the ideas worked in a solar panel factory. And um, at that solar panel factory, they used to grade every solar panel and then everything would have a grade. And the concept really came from um, originally the idea was, right, how do we digitize physical artwork so we were thinking big so like how do we if we want to digitize the mona lisa how do we know that this is the best quality how do we know that this is the best standard so we came up with this idea of like a uh a gia is it gia the diamond standard I yeah say yes. yeah yeah um but for yeah. artwork and then because we were doing digital art i kind of expanded it to digital art and it, it, it actually doesn't make any sense for digital art um except for the fact that jpegs do lose a little rev resolution yeah. every time you resave them so ideally you shouldn't use jpegs but who cares um you know they won't right. degrade for probably a thousand two thousand yeah. five thousand saves um, i like the idea of of sort of like grading the original file uh, yeah, as, as a digital file, sort of like what, but uh, you know, for me, it was like, it, how do you? I'm sort of stumbling here because I was thinking about early days on Rarible and like 
super low res yeah uh, art that well, was that, being that, put that on became the a problem yeah. that became the problem is it was it was like well yes a tiff is better and yes this is but what if it's supposed to be bad and then someone sees the low grade and they misunderstand what it's for it was too much yeah. i think if we had a marketing budget of a few million to explain it and really push it out there as a concept then maybe yeah. it could work but I, I think that i think that the standard of grading art is is we we dropped it um and i and it isn't yeah. in the roadmap to increase it is in the back end i can do it but it's it's because it was put in the designs kind of accident um but i don't the reason have any plans for it i i think i think i think that it's i think it would do more negative than good because it would make people feel as if there was an elitist system against their art because they hadn't saved it as a tiff or whatever and i, I yeah. and i think that's i think that that would do more damage than good I hadn't, I hadn't thought about it like that. And I, I think that's a really smart approach uh, to think of it that way. Because, you know, you said before, um, <clears throat> what if the art is meant to be bad? I've made several low-res GIF artwork that is meant to be bad. And had it been yeah. graded, I don't, I don't know, like a D or something, I would have been like, well, that's fine, but it's not really, you know, it doesn't really yeah. describe what the project, you know, was about. No, exactly. It, it, but it's yeah. too, it's... It's a too simplistic way. What I do think, though, is I, I, I actually think it would be a very useful um, tool if you were doing scans. So if you were scanning an artwork yeah. in that was physical, I, I think that there's actually some relevance for that system there because you there's no reason for you to have a low quality scan of a physical and, artwork. Right. There's, there's, there, you know, that if you said that that was on purpose, I think you would just be someone who wasn't doing their job properly and trying to get out of it um like the you know the 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 best the best possible way to scan an artwork is to scan an artwork the best possible way so i think that right. there's there's some relevance for it maybe there but whether or not that's actually something that's useful for the bae i don't know um i don't think it is I, I think it would be more useful for someone like google who is who is actually archiving um artwork at that sort of level mm -hmm. yeah so let's in talking about physical art what is do you have plans for introducing physical art onto BAE or you thinking well, I, about? I think a scans, I think is the best way. Every, both both uh, BAE and Known Origin um, started trying to sell physical art mm -hmm. um, and both of us pivoted. Uh, yeah. There's I, there's not been a, because I, it's not instant enough. There's And there's so many things that go into shipping art. There's so many taxes. There's so many import duties. There's all of this stuff that, it's not Can as instantaneous as the block, yeah. you know, block, uh, a blockchain. And I mean, purpose. maybe at some point we will have to start worrying about import duties for NFT art, but for the time being, it doesn't exist in regulation. So it, you know, you don't have to, you're not importing it, you're sending yeah. it. Well, even yeah. then, it could be built into the smart contract and won't even be something we'll have to sort of like uh, consciously be aware of. I assume yes. that that's like, but not assume, but I, I would expect that the, the benefit of the smart contract is a situation just like that. Yeah, I think so. And I think that it's just, hopefully um, we can all make enough money in this market that we can all afford the regulation when it comes because eventually it will. And uh, it's going to be the companies that can afford to implement those, those, uh, those needs yeah. that will, will survive it um, the best. So I have one, I have one more question for you. Uh, and it's really a question for who I think, uh, 
most of this audience will be, which is artists. Um, based on your, we'll call it almost decade and a half of experience in the art world, um, and then also being the CEO of, of BAE, uh, if you're a artist in the in the crypto art space right now, looking to um, grow your audience, what do you recommend for them to do? Um, I would recommend to be honest, uh, be apolitical. Um, don't talk about politics at all. It's it it doesn't matter how much it feels like you need to, just don't. Um, unless you're Robness, and then you can get away with it for some reason. Um, but then. Uh, you know, but you're not Robness. That's that's the message um, from that. Is so, I would say if you want to grow, grow. It's about persistence, and it is just consistency. You've got to be willing to put in the work. You've got to be willing to um, to keep going. But also, you've got to be willing, and you've and you've got to pull yourself out of the social media sphere and out of what everyone else is doing to make sure that you're not just following the leader and make sure that you're doing something that's totally unique and not just what's trendy at the time. And obviously it's great you following trends is also important, but coming in with a new concept and a new idea is far more powerful and it will catch on, but you've got to be persistent and you can't give up and you can't look at other people and be like, Oh, well they're selling. Why aren't I selling? Um, I think the, the the quote there is to compare yourself to who you are yesterday, not compare yourself to someone else's today. Um, and uh, the most important thing that you can do is, I guess, stay 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 humble, but stay persistent and keep going. Um, and join BAE and start selling, and then you'll get a message from Super Air inevitably, and then you'll sell on super air and you'll get a message from nifty gateway because we live with a lovely incestuous relationship all of our platforms that's right that's right yeah <laughs> unless you're unless you're me where you try to uh, get yourself thrown <laughs> off of platforms yeah i mean that is also a great way of gaining you know do something do something different that is another way of right. doing it too you know right. do something wild be 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 a wild crazy man look at you know max osiris might be gone for a little bit but i'm sure he'll be back um, he's starting to. I've noticed he's starting to starting to peep, you know, pop his head back in, and yeah. he's been making a little bit art here and there. He he'll come back and he'll rise back because yeah. he's got he managed to cultivate that image of the bad boy of crypto, and um, you know, find find yourself an angle, but be honest yeah. with yourself because he's not being dishonest. That is who he is, and you know, I think that you can look to the successful artists. So you can look to you can look to people like Josie. Um, who's very successful, but it's, but essentially is 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 doing a trope. Um, like she has got more and more interesting as she's develops. But she started. If you look at how people begin, and actually another good example of this is Pranksy. Um, if how people begin is they literally just parodied or copied, some might say copied art art in the actual art world. If you can find an artist that hasn't been copied yet and you can brand it, that's something that could be a, a useful way in. Um, or you can form yourself, you can do it two ways. You can form yourself into a brand or you can form yourself into a personality. And I think that you can look at two dualities that are going on there. You've got uh, the kind of Robness and Max Osiris approach where you're a personality and you've got the Josie, Pranksy, um, Bitcoin and crypto. yeah, kind of crypto approach where you're, you're more about 
you're more about the brand than you are about the person. And yeah. oh, I meant BitBoy Crypto. No. Oh, a BitBoy Crypto. Yeah, and 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 I guess people who fall somewhere in the middle of that would be people like Trevor, but that's more just because I think Trevor's been in the market since the beginning, working nonstop, and you know. Be agreeable is is another thing. If you want to get success and you want to be easy, I, I'm not saying this is the right thing to do. I'm not saying right. that this is like I, you should be true and you should be honest to yourself and you should always push and strive. But when you're starting out, maybe it's a good idea to play the game. Um, I was I was when when I hear that, I always think about the famous book by. Um, oh, the, I'm blanking on the artist, and I, I love it. It's on my shelf. How to win friends. Mm. Right. influence people yeah right yeah. how to win friends and basically it comes down to like he says it multiple times but it's like uh you know be like just be like be uh oh fuck uh hearty approbation and 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 something about like you know grand grand praise and yeah. basically avoid avoid being disagreeable you know yes um and you can you can do it both ways. You can be, yeah. but you know what? It's better to build an audience first and then become incredibly disagreeable. And then that's usually <laughs> that's usually how most if you follow the pattern of most famous people <laughs> and people who make it kind of really big, that's usually the pattern that they follow. Huh? They go, they're very easy, they work within the lines, and then as soon as they're ready, they go to the complete disagreeable end and they do whatever yeah. they want. That's like the 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 pop star turned. Um... <laughs> I mean, it's almost. I guess. I guess you could go. That's the Kanye West route of. Um, yeah. Of how you... no, I was thinking like that's Christina Aguilera. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's kind of the yeah. that's kind of. The I took the opposite is... approach in crypto. Art. <laughs> I was just, you know, an asshole. I've been called. I've been called the villain. Uh, Oh, don't worry. Right? I I was new to Twitter in 2019, and Jesus Christ, I wish I had never joined. Um, <laughs> I I was having more fun when I was a brand, but I'm I'm here now for better or worse. I uh, yes. yeah, I um I probably did myself more damage by being on Twitter than I didn't than I would have anyway, because I tend to disagree with a lot of people. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for joining me here today. Uh, I'm excited to see where BAE goes, and I want to thank you for being a voice for the artist, because I, I think that that goes um, missed sometimes. So thank you so much. No, I really appreciate that. And thank you so much for having me on. I'm, I'm honored to be the first guest. And, um, yeah, it's it going to be great. It was great. It was, uh, yeah. No, it was really good. Thank you.